Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 51. One down, six to go. Last week, we recounted the grand tour of the Crimea by Catherine along with her royal entourage. Her son Paul was growing increasingly hostile to his mother, and Russia was embroiled in two wars, one against the Ottoman Empire and the other against their age-old enemies, the Swedes. While the Russian armies were winning battle after battle, their opponents were stubbornly fighting on despite horrendous losses. The Swedes were regrouping, and the Turks kept drawing upon their vast empire to supply them with troops. What the Turks and the Swedes were not taking into account was the Russian Empire had an almost overabundance of troops that they could call upon, something many in Europe were all too well aware of. Catherine was now in her 60s, and she was not aging well. As Professor Masson said in his work, Memoir Secrets, quote, while her forehead high and serene, her eyes clear and untroubled, but then the harmony of her face would disintegrate, and for a moment one would forget the great Catherine and see only the old woman, for when she opened her mouth she showed that she had lost her teeth, and her voice was broken and mumbling. There was something rough and coarse about the lower part of her face, something false about her light gray eyes, and a certain wrinkle at the base of her nose gave her a rather sinister look. Her latest lover, Mamanov, who was hand-picked by Potemkin, grew weary of his time with Catherine and was having an affair with another young woman. He begged the Empress to let him marry his true love, which Catherine allowed, although bitterly hurt. With Potemkin away, his enemies knew they needed to find a new favorite, and they did in one very ambitious man. Platon Alexandrovich Zubov. This 22-year-old lieutenant in the guard was backed by people like Catherine's personal confidant, Anna Nereshkina, along with the Saltikovs, Chernyachevs, and Rumyanetsevs. Zubov was not only good-looking, he was highly ambitious. Langeron writes of the young man, quote, Every day, starting at 8 o'clock in the morning, his antechamber was filled with ministers, courtiers, generals, foreigners, petition seekers, those who were after appointments or favors. The old generals, the great men of the empire, did not blush to ingratiate themselves with the least of his valets. Stretched out in an armchair in the most indecent, careless attire, with his little finger in his nose and his eyes fixed vaguely on the ceiling, this young man with his cold, vain face scarcely deigned to pay attention to the people around him. Zubov had finagled his brother Valerian to join Potemkin as a staff member so he could keep up to date on all of Grigory's actions, especially those things that were not going well. Potemkin knew that things were not going his way and made it back to St. Petersburg to try to get rid of his rival. He was right to be concerned, as all at the court were intimidated by Zubov, even Grand Duke Paul. Potemkin planned a grand gala to celebrate the victory over the Turks earlier in the year. The date was April 28, 1791. The party was overwhelming to all who came. Gold and jewels were found on every table, with incredibly expensive gifts being given to everyone. But alas, it did not have the expected effect on Catherine, as she left late that night with Zubov on her arm. Potemkin was a beaten man.
Potemkin's light grew dimmer still, as word came out that Prince Renan had taken an army of 40,000 men and defeated the army of the Grand Vizier, which some estimate at 120,000 near Machin. The Turks were ready to talk, and Zubov pushed Catherine into it. Potemkin was opposed, saying that the Turks should be crushed outright before any negotiations happened. But Catherine stayed the course. Grigori decided that it was time to leave and admit defeat. He agreed with the Empress that the time was right, and he headed off to the town of Jassy, where Repnin had already signed the preliminaries of the peace treaty. Potemkin was furious that Catherine had gone over his head and allowed Repnin to conduct the negotiations, so he decided to just leave and headed off to the small town of Nikolaev, near the Black Sea. He did not make it all the way. At one point he is said to have commented, quote, That's enough. Let us go no further. I am dying. I want to die on the ground. Grigory Potemkin laid down by the side of the road and passed away. October 12, 1791, saw a courier dressed in black bring news of Potemkin's death, which caused Catherine to collapse, passing out. She was devastated. She told her secretary, Kropovitsky, How can I replace such a man? He never betrayed me, and he could not be bought. Nothing will ever be the same again. Who would have believed that he would go before Chernyachev and the other old men? All that lot are going to stick their heads out now like snails. But I am too old. There are strong rumors that Zubov had ordered Potemkin poisoned, and there is a possibility that this did occur. But Catherine was resigned to never see her husband again. Potemkin was buried in a mausoleum in the town he built, Kursan. As Troyot puts it in his book about Catherine, quote, But of all those who had bowed before Potemkin living, none thought to bow before Potemkin dead. Quickly, the peace treaty between the Ottoman Empire and the Russians was signed on December 29, 1791. While Russia now controlled the entire northern coast of the Black Sea, the Empress was disappointed as it closed off the possibility of her taking Constantinople. Zupov was now at the height of his power, as he was the head of the College of Foreign Affairs and head of the War College. While all this was going on, there was a little revolt going on in the East, which shook Catherine to her core. It was the French Revolution. Louis XVI was overthrown, and he, along with Marie Antoinette, whose brother was Joseph II of Austria, were captured and eventually executed in 1793. Nothing could have been more wrong in the Empress's eyes than the people thinking they could run a country. Only God's chosen autocrat was capable of such a feat. On top of it, Poland and Prussia had signed a mutual defense pact, which greatly displeased Catherine. Poland had voted on a new constitution at the time, which Cat Catherine thought was an emanation of the revolutionary spirit inspired by the Jacobin clubs of Paris. She was seeing conspiracies around every corner of Europe now. Prussia, which was defeated along with Austria, trying to restore the regency in France, turned its back on Poland as the people were up in arms in revolt, led by General Thaddeus Kosciuszko. The Russians were beaten back by the rebels, 
but soon reversed their losses and captured both Kosciuszko and Poniatowski, who had abdicated his crown, the one that Catherine had placed on his head. Her one-time lover was brought to St. Petersburg and was humiliated by the Empress. Poland was now sliced up by Russia, as well as Prussia and Austria, to the point that it existed no more. Poniatowski was a broken man who lived out his last years as a prisoner in Grodno. Catherine was still shaken up by the French Revolution, as hundreds of the French nobility were showing up in St. Petersburg. Still, she had more important things to do, such as marry off her grandchildren. Alexander was the first to be betrothed to one Princess Louisa of Baden, who became Elizabeth Alexievna. When Catherine heard of Louis XVI's ex execution, she was shocked. Kropovitsky wrote, Upon learning of the criminal execution of the King of France, Her Majesty took to her bed, ill with sorrow. She now believed that a strong man was needed to retake France and restore sanity. Catherine could not have known that a Corsican, who was already 24 years of age, was to take control of France and threaten the existence of Russia just 19 years later. On September 28, 1793, Grand Duke Alexander was married, and Catherine summoned him soon thereafter to explain to him what her plans were for his future. He did not want to rule as he felt a certain remorse for the people, as he had a much more liberal mind than the one that the Empress wanted. Alexander knew that his father was feeble-minded, but was also dismayed by his grandmother's behavior towards the much younger Zubov. He was trapped between his loyalty to Catherine and his duty to his father. We now fast forward to February 1796, where Valerian Zubov began his campaign to eventually take Constantinople. He had taken Derbent and Baku quickly, but then stalled at the border of the Persian desert. Catherine now knew that her dream was not going to happen in her lifetime. Her daughter-in-law, Maria Fyodorovna, gave birth yet again to a boy named Nicholas. Catherine could not take this boy to raise, which left him to the care of his parents to raise him with a much more conservative Prussian bent. This was to come back to haunt Russia as he became Tsar Nicholas I. Now with her health failing, Catherine began to see something she feared. Republicanism was spread throughout writings throughout St. Petersburg. Whenever she found something that hinted liberalism, she had it seized and destroyed. All of this was weakening Catherine, which made her decide that she would make a proclamation on November 24, 1796, her name's day, that Alexander would replace her. As the day came closer, she continued her work schedule until one morning, after working hard, she went to the bathroom, where she remained for quite some time. Worried about her absence, her valet, Zotok, and maid, Perokuzinskiana, opened the door and found Empress Catherine on the floor, collapsed next to the commode. She was still alive, but barely. Days passed and she still clung to life, as obstinate and holding on as she was grasping for power those many years ago. On November 6th, 1796, Grand Duke Paul was told that the end was near, 
and he immediately ordered all his mother's papers to be sealed and delivered to him. He found one paper that said, To be opened after my death in the council. Paul knew what was in it, and without reading it, flung it into the fireplace. The will of Catherine would not see the light of day. Rostopchin would write of the last moments, quote, That moment will remain present in my memory until the end of my days. On the right stood the Grand Duke heir, the Grand Duchess and their children. At the head of the bed, myself and Plescheva. On the left, the physicians and all the Empress's personal servants. The silence of all those present, the steadiness of their gazes, all fastened on the same object. The semi-darkness that reigned in the room. Everything inspired terror and announced the coming of death. The clock struck the quarter past ten, and Catherine the Great, having uttered a last sigh, like all mortals, appeared before the judgment seat of God. Procurator General Samuilov stepped forward and said, Gentlemen, the Empress Catherine is dead, and her son, the Emperor Paul, has ascended the throne. Paul had his wife first come to him to kiss him the traditional three times, followed by Grand Duke Alexander and his wife, followed by Grand Duke Constantine and his wife, and the Grand Duchesses Alexandra, Helen, Maria, and Catherine. They then read an oath to Paul. The emperor was now full of himself, having finally seen his detested mother dead. As Troyot puts it, now that he had become master of Russia, he had only one thing in mind, to abolish everything that had been established by his mother and to take up the thread of history at the point where his father had been assassinated in 1762. Next week, we follow the ill-fated reign of Tsar Paul I and the ascension of his son, Alexander, to the throne of Russia. And now, for this week in Russian history, for the week of May 26th through June 2nd. In 1076, Mstislav I of Kiev is born. In 1223, with the Mongol invasion of the Cumans, the Battle of Kalka River, Mongol armies of Genghis Khan, led by Subatai, defeated Kievian Rus and the Cumans. In 1326, the Treaty of Novgorod delineates borders between Russia and Norway in Finnmark. 1557, Fyodor I of Russia was born. In 1960, Boris Pasternak, Russian writer and author of the incredible novel Dr. Zhivago, the Nobel Prize laureate, died. And in 1990, the Russian parliament elects Boris Yeltsin president of Russia. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. This week, I'd like to ask for a favor of my listeners. If you could go to iTunes and go to my podcast and give it, hopefully, a favorable review, of course, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, doing so would really help to increase the rankings of this podcast in the history category. But, as always, please don't forget to visit the Russian Rulers History Facebook site. Leave a message, ask a question, make a suggestion, and... Das vidanya i spasiba bolshoya.